This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Right, Monada. This is Monada Didima Panama, which I grew from seed. It's a really good seed mix. Lots of different colours. So you grow, you grow them and you get every colour from light pink to white to crimson, purples, reds. And I thought this one looked quite nice today. And I, I love I love Monada. Uh, I've always grown them in our garden. I think down in London, they, they struggled a little bit in the sandy soil. So some of them would start to get mildew. Um, what I'm excited about here, because it is up, we have clay soil, which is really water attentive. And we have a bit more, we do have more moisture. <laughs> um, and it's, I think these will do really well here. Uh, alongside plants like Astrantia. Um, so I'm excited about growing these en masse. I, I think they look like, I don't know if you remember the 80s kids program called Frag, Fraggle Rock. Yes. Um, they just they remind me of that. They just look like fraggles, just like dancing around. Um, which are, and they also smell lovely when you brush the leaves. Uh, kind of like that sweet Earl Grey, bur- that bergamot, Earl Grey tea type smell. Um, yeah. yeah, so I love these and they're so colourful. So I think um, I grew some from seed. I've got some cultivars as well. Um, but I'm excited about the seed grain one because they seem really, they do seem really robust so far. Um, whether it's just because they're, they're more vigorous from seed or not, I don't know. Well, back to the subject of precipitation, uh, which you have and we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I was I, I, doing a garden tour of the garden for people the other day, and I, I did notice that in in areas of the garden where I have been to irrigate, been able to irrigate, our flocks are looking absolutely sick as a pig, really. Um, and I just thought. Somehow or other, probably if we have more summers like this, and it rather seems as if we might, more of these periods of drought, we're going to have to rethink probably what we grow in the yeah. East of England. And I think we're going to have to go more to tap-rooted things like meringiums, I guess, and stuff like that. I was thinking exactly the same thing. My my flocks has needed way too much maintenance, and I love it, but I don't I don't know if it's going to be long for this world in my garden if we if the weather continues to be as it is because uh, it's it's just too high maintenance and too sad looking. It looks to be mm. reproachfully on all those those hot days, and I don't have any monadas either. How um obviously that you've grown them from seed and they seem to be you know wonderfully resilient. How quick are they from seed to flower? Your monadas. Well, I found that this this uh, Panama that it flowered in the first year. Um, the plants were quite so pretty, pretty good. Every single one flowered, uh, which was good because it meant that you could whistle out the ones that you didn't want to keep and stop. And so it was really good for picking and choosing exactly what you wanted. But this year they've come back and they're huge plants as if um, they've been growing there for years. So really, yeah, two years and they're really good border plants already. How exciting. And obviously with all your acres, you must be looking for ways to grow from seed and divide and be able to propagate a lot of the material to fill your borders. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about, um, I think I bought last year, I probably got about 100 key plants, but I only have one of each at the moment. So I want to, over the years, let them bulk up, divide them and propagate. Because for me, that's the fun. The fun of the garden is propagating. Um, I think as you, you'll both know as gardeners, it's like it's, it's fun knowing that you've done that. And amazing when you stand back and go, that was a seed and now I've got 10 monadas in <laughs> that whole area. It's like, how did that How did that happen? It's miraculous in a way. But, um, but also there's a lot of areas of bulking it out with stuff and lo- looking for tough plants that will spread. Uh, I'm quite interested in this planting in lots of tough plants and letting them just run riot and mishmash, which 
you know, I might regret later. <laughs> it, might, it might end up being a mistake, but um, I, I like that idea of that kind of wild approach. Just like, you know, I won't plan the borders as such. I'll just let them do what the plants do, what they want to do over time. I love plants running riot. It's one of my favourite things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Manala's right. Actually, it was one of the, the first ones I noticed in my, my Clapham garden in London. Uh, I planted a, a Cambridge scarlet on one side of the border, and three years later, it had moved itself to the other side. It just gradually <laughs> gone across. I was like, what, a, what an amazing thing is. Yeah, it doesn't care what I think. It's chosen its own home. <laughs> That's it. And then they just choose their own combinations. They're inevitably better than anything we planned and nature, nature rules. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes well, no. nature's like, sometimes nature's what I want to do. Not if it's masses of bindweed climbing over everything. Oh, you're talking about no. bindweed king here. We've got lots of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing. So because my garden was new, it didn't come with lots of weeds. I've introduced most of them. They've come in with various plants I've, I've bought or brought in from my mum's garden. And uh, bindweed is one of the only ones I don't have. I'm sure it'll turn up in the next few months, but in the first three <laughs> years, it hasn't arrived yet. So I'm just waiting. I was wondering, you know, with the, the climate getting drier in the summers, I wondered if uh, with, with your gardens, are you are you really thinking about changing your plants? To Do you, have you got to the point where one garden you're watering so much, you're thinking... I don't want to do that bit anymore. I want to, should we rethink this area? Is that on your minds at the moment? Yeah, it is a natural fact. I mean, we are thinking in terms of being, um, you know, we're going for plants like Agapanthus, for instance. I mean, they've got very questing rootstocks. And you you, you just mentioned, Jack, about um, letting plants do what they want to do. Well, we put, we put Agapanthus in the desert and they have become a weed because, you know, oh, they're... Wow gravel mulch everywhere and seeds in the gravel mulch ideal um, nursery spot and they just keep germinating but yes. when, you see, when you have a changing climate this happens because you know when we first came to East Ruston which we bought East Ruston 50 years ago next year which seems amazing to me because I don't I still feel 23 but there we are never mind um, but you know I wouldn't have dared planted pittosporum outside well today they are in the garden and they're self-seeding as are agapanthus as are eucalyptus um yeah. you know trachycarpus fortunii the chosen palm everywhere all along the hedge bottoms obviously eating the birds have eaten the fruit and you know sitting on the top of the hedge and down comes the seed and you've got a new plant it's amazing it is amazing I find this topic absolutely fascinating because um in, in my first bit wild about weeds, I, put, I just warned in there that actually, as the climate changes, some, a yeah. plant like fennel will become a weed. Yeah. And, I, you know, and, it, and it will, down in the southeast of England, it already is. And it kind of, you have to, I think as gardeners, we have to be careful and aware of which ones, which plants are starting to do that and make sure they don't get out into the wild where they could create a problem. Yeah. Um, I think, luckily, we're, we're much more aware now. And I don't think uh, things like Japanese knotweed in today's world that wouldn't have happened because we're aware of what can happen yeah uh, but i think just keeping an eye on these plants like verbena and fennel down in our london garden my london allotment even up here actually they self-seed prolifically um and you can start to see them along roadsides and things we just have to be aware of what how, how far are you from norfolk then jack because i mean you're saying but verbena self-sowing with you well i mean it's been self-sowing here for about the last 15 years and i yes. think less long with you i don't know because you're cold uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was when I came up. I was, well, what was I surprised? Maybe I was a little bit surprised that the plants survive winter. Um, as such, so certain things surprised me. But um, yes, there's self sowing around. Uh, our families have been in Yorkshire, so I've known Yorkshire. I know Yorkshire very well. Yeah. We've only been here for a year and a half. But um, yeah, they're certainly sowing around. So we're 
how far are we? Probably 200 miles northwest yeah. from you, I think, about that. Um, yeah. And it is very wet, but actually things like dahlias survive outside in winter without any mulching or anything as well. Yeah. Um, and we certainly, as much as I'm, I'm talking about it raining, we're not, we certainly haven't escaped the changing climate. It was during the heat wave, we were, I was standing on a client's, in a, sta- a client's woodland garden on the hillside, and the wind coming in was like a hairdryer. Yeah. on that, that hottest day mm. uh, had, it was really we were in drought a bit of drought at that point so plants are starting to suffer and um, we did have to water a bit then um so it's interesting how much the climate is changing even all the way up here where i thought i thought we'd escaped for, yeah. for the rest of my life but i don't think i have <laughs> i have to go to scotland <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'll be watch this space. I mean, East Rustenall Vicarage is always evolving anyway, but it'll be uh, certainly yeah. interesting to see how uh, how the planting changes. I loved hearing about the, the tap-rooted plants and that that kind of thinking is very clever. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I think that, that is the way to go, exploring which plants can survive. We still have that challenge that our, our climate is sort of in the middle of changing and we still have the cold snaps and the wet in winter. Um, but anyway, so it's, it does part of gardening. It's about experimenting. Well, another weird thing that happened here over the last winter was the fact that on the south front of our house, which is the hottest probably part of the garden, really, um, I planted a tree daily that came from Creek Farm. Um, and it roared up to 12 feet tall, um, completely out of scale, and makes everybody go, wow, what on earth is that? Is it <laughs> a dahlia? No, it can't be a dahlia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that dahlia didn't flower because the summer's not long enough for it. But it kept its old stems, two thirds of its old stems through the winter and they shot and every little shoot produced bunches of flowers. So we had a dahlia flowering in the front of the house in April. Amazing. Awesome. That is amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And, um, we had a similar thing with, in London with Rakinus. Yeah. They were perennial. They just, really? they, yeah, they were perennial in our garden. So if we had, I had to keep cutting them down, otherwise they would turn into these large shrubs. Um, but I did start leaving them. They would just grow back in. The, the leaves would die back, but the stems would be fine, um, and they'd continue growing. Now that's interesting because a friend of mine actually last year he kept uh, um, Rosinus growing in a pot in a heated greenhouse, but he defoliated it completely. And in the spring, it produced all these new little side shoots. And he said, "I think this is a way to keep them going because yeah. you know you're going to get a much bigger, bushier plant, and it would be interesting to do this." And it's on my list to do. I've got particularly rare with blue stems and blue leaves um, which I managed to get three plants of from Steve Edney down in Kent and um, it's just flowering in the greenhouse now and I'm going to obviously try and save my seed but I want to save yeah I'll be interested to see what happens I'd love to go to maybe next time I come you'll have this large shrub and we can (laughs) can come (laughs) (laughs) if anyone if anyone can do it you can So where next with your show and tell, Jack? Okay, let's go to the weeds. Um, So this is a, should should I go controversial? Yes, always. Um, This isn't the best specimen. I actually cut this back um, last week. So this is uh, ragwort, or also known as apparently Stinking Willy. I'm not sure where that name came from. But it's um, it's ragwort. Are you, I think you add that in just because it's talking dirty and Alan Gray would love it. <laughs> I've got a very silly schoolboy sense of humour, I'm afraid. <laughs> just in case anyone didn't hear it, I said stinking willy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where the name came from. I've never actually spelt it before, but it smells quite floral. Uh, Jacobia vulgaris. This, so this is a weed that is known for... Um, people are worried about it poisoning livestock and horses. 
Um, and it can do if, you, if they eat a lot of it. Um, but when it's growing, and I've seen, you see this in fields all the time, the animals, when it's alive, they just avoid it. It's so mostly risk- in hay, it's the problem, isn't it? Because they it, don't taste it, it so much in hay. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a problem. So you don't want to have lots of it in hay because when it's dry, they don't know what it is. Um, but I wanted to just say what a beautiful plant this can be. Um, I know this one looks a bit scraggly because, as I say, we had one on our land and I needed to control it just to make sure it doesn't spread too much. I cut this down uh, two weeks ago, but that was cut two weeks ago. And it's still, <laughs> this is how indestructible it is. And so when you have droughts and you look at a field and it's brown. And it's helped by the rain, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's been so wet here, it's just like being in a vase. But, also, um, but it, it, this uh, ragwort and achillea are two wildflowers I've noticed that even in the longest drought still look green in flower in meadows they're incredible they're really good for wildlife so 200 insects or species of insects or more rely on this plant um some in particular can only survive with this plant um, but what i love about it it's got these really sturdy stems really good vertical and then these it splays out into this large flat dome of bright yellow um and if it didn't have such a bad reputation i think in gardens it would be i'd find it i'd love to grow it in um alongside certain plants just for its structure um, so it's that really rigid, narrow stem, and then this lovely splay top of uh, flowers at the top, and it flowers all summer long, um, a really lovely shot of bright yellow. You know, Jack, there's two things about that. First of all, pre- the, the gardening public have a prejudice against yellow, which I'm very anti, and I want, I'm going to do a yellow border here, just to spite everybody. Um, and the other thing is that I think that this ragwort is, I mean, I've watched you handling it, fondling it, looking at it, talking about it, <laughs> but, but it is in actual fact well probably a contender for one of those plants if it's taken out of context and used in the flower border people are going to look at it and question it and they're going to say is is that is that ragwort yes yeah i think you're absolutely right i think it has this sort of structure that in amongst softer grasses or yes. really airy plants it just would kind of float and highly the, the leaves can be a bit unsightly, um, but there's not many of them. So I think yeah. it, was, it has quite good, for me, border appeal. I mean, it can, it, like any wildflower, it can be quite vigorous. Um, so you might just have to watch the number of seeds and, and things. But um, as we're learning with Fagopanthra, Stephen may do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. So I think it's just about smart gardening. But yeah, it's a wonderful plant. Um, you have to control it if you're near livestock, but actually most people who live, who live in cities and towns uh, it's there's no problem with growing it in in our old London garden. We could have grown this. And I think if I were to re- rewind, you know, you know one of the things about ragwort, it was it was spread by the railways, um, oh, okay. rushing along and dragging seed with them. Um, yeah, that's spread across the country. Yeah, interesting. I think to know that. Yeah, and it's actually it's one of our local wildflowers. It's not being it's not like Japanese knotweed that's being introduced and yeah. running around. It's a a genuinely good, friendly plant. Um, yeah. Worth being aware of the risks with livestock, but not as big as people realise. Um, and it's not illegal to grow if you're away from... Um, it's totally fine to grow it as any wildflower if you're away from livestock and things. Yeah. Um, you need to get a warning from a local farmer if yours has gone out of control. It's and it's so satisfying if you get all the cinema moths and you walk past and all those beautiful black and red moths sort of start flitting around. It's like Alice in Wonderland. When you see the, the, the black and yellow caterpillars, which turn into black and red moths, it's almost un- the, the caterpillars are unbelievable on mass. And it's kind of, it, it, whether it's beautiful or not, I don't know. It's like, it's like a scene from a Tim Burton film. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing that 
they're, they're so brightly coloured like that. So, but you will, they're unmistakable. I think the word is surreal, isn't it? Surreal. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> well, that was a good controversial one to start us off with on your weedy forays. Yeah, controversial, but it shouldn't be really. I no. think it's not that controversial. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll get some comments. Please do comment below. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, I'll zip through these. So this is my, another wild... I've got two wildflowers here, actually. Let's get the wildflowers section out of the way. <laughs> uh, Oxide daisy, Lucanthum in Bulgari, and regular common hogweed, which is just a... Both of these I love. So we've got the Oxide daisy I, is just self-seeded around my garden. I've left some... Very vigorous, so you have to keep it under control, uh, but actually keeps flowering all summer long, easy plants. You can just rip out what you don't need. Um, and I think it looks really lovely as a big daisy. And hogweed, I'm getting interested in just because it, it's, I think it's a lovely umble in the middle of summer, um, loved by insects. And it comes in, you can even get a pure white, so sometimes it has a slightly pinky tinge inside. But I'm growing it in a woodland area. The only thing I found is that it, the deer really love the flowers. <laughs> I keep finding these. Um, the, these stems which have just been deadheaded <laughs> by the by the deer. Um so we're trying to grow this around our, our fire pits sort of woodlandy wild area and let it self-seed and there were lots of them but it's just leaves at the moment. So that's the only downside. Um but they can be really big as well. So I like those kind of dramatic um, well there's a great there's a great fashion for umbles of any kind at the moment I think and 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 there's some great umbles that actually flower really rather late. And if you drive through the the heathland in North, on the Norfolk and Suffolk borders, uh, well, the borders of Norfolk going into Suffolk, um, there's a wonderful. I don't know the name of it, but it's like it's like a giant cow parsley on speed or something, but very very fine leaf and a large candelabrum of these little white. They're not so big as hogweed, of course, but I mean it's a, just a fantastic plant. I've looked at it for years and wondered. I haven't done anything about it, but it's obviously a wildflower in the right places. But uh, I suppose um, Breckland, sort of sandy soil, that's the place that it really likes. It might be okay. worth stopping the car and getting a handful of seed. <laughs> yeah, it might be, yeah, it might be worth doing that. Just, yeah, just see what it is. That's, I mean, that's what I do with a lot of stuff is just I'll go around and um, just keep an eye on the So with foxgloves, I'll just keep an eye on the white foxgloves around. And I'll, I'll, when they've set the seed, I'll go and collect seeds from them. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think in a while you're not supposed to dig up plants, but collecting seed is so easy. You just scatter it where you want. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, easy, easy way of growing new plants. So, yeah. So, yeah, do that. And if um, if they run wild and destroy your garden, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite good being known as a sort of wild weed lover because surely everybody sort of knows that if they introduce something, it could be completely rampant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it could be. Um, I think, yes, exactly. It's kind of. It's a risky game to play because you kind of you don't really know what's going to happen, and, and plants can behave differently in different areas. But it's really, it's, just, it's no different to any other uh, flower. Really, it's just, I mean, it's just about learning how they grow. And if you know how to, if if they send out rhizomes and shoots, then you know to control that and to watch out for them. If you know that they are self so prolifically, you know to deadhead some just to make sure they, they don't do that, um, or grow them around tougher stuff and things like that. Um, I had one. Oh, I had one last. So do do tell me to shut up. No, <laughs> we won't. We refuse. One last wildflowery weed, which is um, bush vetch. Yeah. And this is a this is a I think it's a beautiful. If it wasn't so rampant, I think more people would grow it. And it really is a rampant plant. But I, I noticed the other week we've got geranium ox. Uh, I can't know how to pronounce it. Oxanium. And uh, one of the oxanium. Oxanium. 
Oxyana, that's it, thank you. Um, we've got this big patch of geranium oxyanum, which is in itself a rampant plant. And then this was growing through it and over it, creating this kind of haze over the top. Yeah, and no. the two plants felt evenly matched in terms we of- We had that in our wildflower meadow. That oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so I think that's, that's just lovely. Um, it is. It's such a beautiful colour. If you're driving along and you see that getting rampant in the verge, all these wonderful flashes of that lovely, vibrant, purpley blue, it's lovely. Who, who was getting rampant in the verge? <laughs> <laughs> you very much got the vibe of talking dirty, Jack. <laughs> It'll be Alan getting seeds. <laughs> I'll watch out extra, extra hard when I'm driving along in Norfolk next. <laughs> <laughs> who knew what was going on in Norfolk? <laughs> It's because it's out of the way, you know, we don't have that much to do. So getting rampant in the verge is a good option. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's drier as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lovely wildish section. Where next with your show and tell? Okay, well, I'll finish off with um, a few ornamental things I picked up this week from so Dove, Dove Cottage Nursery um, in Halifax, which we, which is close to us, uh, which is good. But um, I'm growing lots of flictrums and this is... Splendid white, I think. Yep, splendid white. I'm growing different kinds of white philictrums because um, I think they're just lovely, airy plants. You mentioned a lot of white, Jack. I was just about to say that. <laughs> have, have you spotted the theme? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have mentioned a lot of white, haven't I? There's, um, yeah. yes, that's, you've just, you're the first people who might have spotted that. And I think, so. I'm, I'm thinking to myself that you're sort of enjoying your garden in the twilight. Never mind about talking about us getting rampant in the verges. I mean, I hate to think what's happening in your garden in the twilight. <laughs> you, Alan, you've you've hit a nail on the head. I, <laughs> I, twilight is um, when I'm getting rampant out there. Like, but I'll be, um, <laughs> but I'm yeah, quite often, unfortunately, looking at moths and other things like that. So, it's, but, um, well, but yes, but, but you know, going being sensible for for a moment, the white garden at Sissinghurst, probably the most famous piece of white garden in in the country. I mean, that was designed to be walked through in the gloaming, and that is how to use a white garden. So, to everybody that goes out to work, think white. It'll be all white on the night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it's a shame, isn't it? It's Sissinghurst. You see the white garden, but it's always whenever I've seen it, it's been in the blaring. Flat. Yeah. sunshine and it's yeah. like i wish i could be there can they do a late night maybe they do do a late night opening I, do, I think they do the occasional evening oh, thing now yeah which is yes. so sensible because i mean they've got this wonderful theater there to do it with and to look at it and to say you know you can imagine all these ladies who love saying oh darling we'll have some of those <laughs> <laughs> they'll be happy with that garden not the yeah, wild yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I, I assume all of these lovely white plants that then in the end of your busy day, you can sit there and enjoy them looking ethereal and magical at twilight. Hopefully that's the idea. It's kind of, yeah, it's not looking ethereal yet, but you never know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in a few years time <laughs> we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit that. But it's, um, there's definitely a white theme. It's not all white. It's, uh, it's not all white. Uh, but it's, um, <laughs> I think from, from my old garden, it's known for being pink and purple. But actually in my, lots of my designs, I use a lot of white flowers. Um, and so this is where it's all kind of is coming from there, perhaps. But um, it just felt right. It felt right for this garden when when we got here, just the space and everything. It kind of because the garden's on a slope and you're looking out at the sky. Mostly the sky is very dominant. Um, and so kind of you can't even compete with it, really, with the views and the skies. It's kind of this 
trying to reflect some of the colours and things from that. Um, it's sort of a loose idea at the moment. Lovely. Tell you're a designer. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an overthinker. Um, I'm wishing I'd kept hold of the white mechanopsis because I could have sent it your way. A, uh, loving the white, and B, the perfect climate to grow it. If only it was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it comes back, get some seasons. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you could get white mechanopsis, so that's interesting. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> So a lovely white Thalitron, uh Splondide. And uh, what else did you get from Dove Cottage? I bet no, this I was a fun them. trip. This is. It was, yeah. You know when you go in for one plant and you come out with half, half a carload? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, will this one fit in the footwell? Can I squeeze this one next to the passenger? Yes, we've all been there. <laughs> so this is um, a Helenium, Waltrout, Waltrout, um, which I've grown before lots of times. Uh, my pronunciation there was completely wrong, but... Um, <laughs> Alan just says it with absolute conviction and confidence that's his are you, trick are you making it up Alan? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm big I love heleniums um, heleniums heleniums I'm actually going to be on the the RHS trial for them up here in in Bridgewater uh, which is going to be exciting. But I like what I like. I love the ones where they're kind of this dusky, burnt, umbry. So I'm excited about these. I grew, I grew them down in London. They, they, some of them did well in the in the, on my allotment. I had sandy, dry soil. Um, some of them did well there, but many of them struggled a bit. It was a bit too dry. Yeah. Um, and we'll yeah we'll see how they do here in this garden. Um, it's not going in the main garden. It's going in the another sort of brighter corner somewhere where I kind of just there is no theme. It's just everything brightly coloured. Um, wow. So I've got a few varieties of these on the go, but that's one of them. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they how they grow. There is no theme, just everything brightly coloured sounds like the motto for my life and my garden. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should have a bit of that. <laughs> Arguably, I have too much. The dungarees say a lot. Um, <laughs> what next from Dove Cottage then? Um, so I've got the last one for it. This is... A bit scrappy. This is one that um, so Alan will record. So when, when I came to East London, I bought a diorama um, and I planted it on my allotment in London. And it was the most beautiful, spectacular thing. And unfortunately, I had to leave it there. And I was absolutely, I was so gutted because um, my, my allotment in London had lots of uh, what, onion white rot. Yeah. And so I'd been saving, I had hundreds of plants on there. I had to leave them all because I just didn't want to bring this thing with me to Yorkshire, the disease. So I've, but I've been missing my diorama, so I bought, bought a new one from Dove Cottage. Next time I come to see you, Alan, I'll, I'll make sure I get some of yours as well. Lots of things stay stuck in the mind, but I know there's one point where you walk out and there's a whole a, a series of steps going leading yeah. to another part of the garden full of diorama. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's just beautiful. I, I love it because it looks like a grass, an evergreen grass, but then you have flowers as well. So... Um, yeah, it's a bit scrappy here, but... You... It's interesting because our, our dioramas over the years have, have hybridised one um, between another. And the interesting thing is you get a much longer flowering season because, because they're seed grown, they're genetically different from their parents and they take on one, one trait or another trait, whatever. So if mother flowers early, then son probably flowers early. And if father flowers late, daughter probably flowers late, if you see what I mean. So, um, right. and, and, and you get colour variation as well. Um, there's one group in the in the sunk garden that is that was a group of self-sown seedlings, and they all flower quite early. And they by the end of uh, middle of July they're finished. And then in another part there's a, there's one that's looking absolutely fabulous now. 
Um, oh. We'll go on for about another two or three weeks, I suppose. Yeah. It is interesting the way plants differ. And the way that you, you've noticed that as well is very, you, you can't, uh, it's so special, isn't it? To be able to, you've lived with those plants and you've seen them closely, how, yeah. they, how yeah. they're different, spotting those tiny differences. Yes. Um, not many people would do that, but so important to horticulture and gardening, yeah. um, that kind of knowledge. Uh, but yeah, yeah, amazing. It's also like my, my, my dahlia from seed. I mean, there is no science, science behind it whatsoever, Jack, but I pick, I pick a, a parent that I like the look of for one reason, whether it be dark foliage or whether it be the colour of the flower, whatever. Um, and, you know, we do probably 30 seedlings from that and just grow them on pots until they flower. And then we decide whether they're worthwhile or not. Yeah. Um, and I, when, I, when I'm pricking seedlings out from a bunch of dahlia seed, I look at the, flat, the foliage very, very carefully. And I mean, I've got some coming along now with very dark foliage, but it's exceedingly ferny and very delicate looking. And yeah. it's almost worth growing for that alone, but I just want to see what the flower color is. Yes. Um, who knows? My first dahlia, which was a seedling from a dahlia called Magenta Star. Do you know that one? Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Dark foliage, bright colored flower. My first seedling from her bloomed three weeks ago and it opened white and faded to pale pink. How different is that? But it still has dark foliage. Yeah, but they're all singles because, I mean, yeah. I think to get the complicated doubles, you have to be very careful about crossing a variety with another one and so on and so forth. I'm not into that. It's too scientific for me. Um, yeah. But, you know, to get a garden-worthy plant. And there's one in particular that I grow in the garden here, which is now taller than me. It's bone hardy. It's been in for five, six years. Dark foliage and it's single flowers. But the, the petals are actually... Um, I suppose they're probably pale pink with darker pink stripes on them. Um, that's the best way of describing it. But I mean, it is just a nice thing. And I, I, what, the other thing I think that's interesting is uh, you would go for this. I know you would, because I had a friend of mine who's a nurseryman. He came around the garden and he said, what is that? You know, <laughs> yards away. What is that? <laughs> and, you know, it is something a bit special. Yeah. Much like your show and tell, I must say. Thank you very much for that. It's absolutely oh, Thank you very much. That, that, your dahlias sound wonderful. I, I should have, um, I am growing some dahlias. I used to grow lots more, um, but um, I, I, I still love them. And I think I'll, there'll be more of them here. But it's lovely to hear how you're, yeah, how you're, you're basically breeding them, but in, a, in a, an easy way, I guess. Yeah, the yes. way anyone can do, but you have to spend the time and have the eye for it. But um, then you get something special that's unique to your garden. And it's, it feels like that's a, it feels like that's a gift that we as gardeners, any gardener, any person can have. Well, we've yeah. lost it in a way. People feel like it's too complicated. It's just, it's really, it's just it's having the ability, I think, to look and to see what you're actually looking at. Yes. Which dahlias, Jack, are you trying in your new garden then? Or have you brought, you know, the, the varieties you love growing before on your allotment that you're trying uh, in Hebden Bridge? So we have, I've got uh, dahlia murkii, the species, which I was given seeds of that by uh, garden designer Penny Hophouse. Yeah, um, it's a special ones. I grew them on in London. I kept the seeds, and funnily enough, they, they've proven to be completely perennial up here. They've mm. come back pretty vigorous, uh, which which amazed me. Um, oh, I've got a new. Um, I haven't got many. There's one. I've forgotten the name of it, but there's a. It's kind of like a dark. It will come to me later. It's sort of a almost like a helenium color, orangey, burnt orangey color, and it's a single. Um, it's got dark foliage. I'd like it. I'd like to try and find one which is this kind of like a peak. Sort of that, yeah, a dark orange with a bit of peachy color to it. So kind of like a sunsetty color. Yeah. Um, 
And I'd like to find that one of those with greener foliage, really. But it's got like, the sort of half green, half bronzy foliage. That's a lovely one. I like the singles because you get the, it's good for insects as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's one on the allotment, which is the, I don't know what it is, which is the, uh, a very heavy double, heavily doubled white flowered one, which is which is really nice. And that just, that's just been there on the allotment since before we moved in. We, I call it the allotment as a space in our land, which is um, a vegetable patch, which is called the allotment. Um, <laughs> with cut flowers and things so that's all the daily is at the moment i think i'll i will add to it but it's um yeah so i've just got the free, the free at the moment well i think you will be adding to it i mean just <laughs> just or, or don't look at any of the daily catalogues or he, you know halls of head or anything like that if you don't allow yourself to look maybe you'll manage to uh to resist but if if you do look i'm assuming you'll end up with lots with just so somebody acres. posted the most amazing daily on Instagram and Jack looks at it and thinks, wow, I must have that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no hiding from them. <laughs> it's too it's too hard. Like they kind of you look at them and you're like, that's amazing. Oh, and that one's amazing. Maybe that one's a bit different. And that one. And then you end up with 20. And yeah. like, this <laughs> well, at least you've got some space now. I'm still dealing with a tiny suburban garden where I really don't have space, but but never mind. One one day. Um I think you make the most of it. You've got all this room. Just grow all the dahlias. Yes. <laughs> Have a dahlia field. Yeah, yeah. just grow everything. Oh, everything. <laughs> everything. Uh, your show and tell has been absolutely wonderful, Jack. It's it's exactly what we wanted from you. A lovely mix and lots of little wild things shouting about those wild And a bit flowers. of controversy. We and love some... them. <laughs> <laughs> and some controversy as well. Um, for, uh, for FOMO. maybe you've given people FOMO for things like ragwort, certainly, surely for weld and uh, and lots of the other lovely things. Uh, maybe there'll be people thinking I should add oxide daisies back into the garden because they are wonderful and such happy, easy flowers. Uh, FOMO, by the way, if people don't know about it, it's uh, that fear of missing out you get about a flower or a plant. It's how I live my life. I think even with 32 acres, it's how Alan lives his life, East Ruston Old Vicarage. Yes. <laughs> and I have chosen my Flomo today, um, especially for you, Jack, because it is a wildflower and it's one I have always loved. And ages ago, I remember you writing about how you wanted it to transfer from your border to your lawn. And it's self-heal, Prunella vulgaris, I think it's called. Um, and those the idea I have always loved when you go to someone's garden, one of these lovely old established houses where they'll have all of this purple through the grass sort of creeping around the base of a tree or something and I've always dreamed of that and um, the other half's very small patch of lawn is sacrosanct here so there won't be any prunella making its way into his lawn but next next garden I 100% want a wild area where I can let all the all the self-heal do its thing through the grass and yeah you're obviously enthused about it as well. I am very infused about it. I've, I've just noticed we have one next in the border and it, and it has now finally crept into the lawn. <laughs> Um, it's happening. It is. This is happening, people. But um, there's, I saw it. It's my brother's got this lovely lawn. It's beautifully kept, but it's absolutely full of self-heal as well. And from a distance, you wouldn't know. When you get up close, it's just got this lovely purple colour to it. Um, it. It just it worked so well there. It just fueled. I, I, I've written about it before. And I wanted it in the lawn, uh, but it just fueled it. I was like, this, you know what? This, I've written about it, imagining it, but I've seen it here on mass. And it works really well. I've seen it in small patches elsewhere, but um, on mass, it just looks amazing with daisies as well. So, yeah. so yes, please do. I encourage you to get some self-heal in your lawn. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful plant. Where are you at with your Flomo then, Jack? So my Flomo is with a plant I used to grow in London, which we, there's no way we could grow up here in Yorkshire, which is um, it's the silver tree called Leucodendron argentium. 
an amazing plant from South Africa. It's a small tree um, with, with the most literally silver-like leaves I've ever seen. Um, and these kind of work, they kind of grow up in, it looks like, I don't know, it looks like a, a monster from Monsters, Inc. or Sesame Street. It looks like a monster's curly wig. It does. It looks like it, it would make a fabulous wig. <laughs> up here. And, um, but it's just, when you see it, it shines. It's like, I've never seen anything like it. So these, these leaves are kind of uh, long, long spears, which are slightly hairy, but the actual leaf is, it takes Glaucus to another level. It's much more silver than Glaucus, um, but it's, it wouldn't survive. It grows really well in, your, in Cornwall. Uh, but up here, it's just too cold and too cold and wet. It needs that that little bit of like a warmer climate, like down in Cornwall, um, where even some years they get killed down there, but they generally survive enough. And um, so I've got massive flow mode. Like we had one in our Clapham garden, um, which sadly didn't didn't survive when I planted it out. I think the soil wasn't acidic enough, um, but it, in a pot it grew really well. Um, in a rapaceous compost, I, I would love to have had a. Uh, a small garden with a, a tree, with that tree in it, an absolutely amazing plant. Well, I think that's a plant to watch, you know, because we, if our summers are getting drier and drier, that leucodendron is going to be uh, a star plant for us. Absolutely. If I'm growing a leucodendron in Yorkshire and I'm happy about it, you know the world is ending. <laughs> 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 well, I'll be happier about it. But I think down where you are, certainly it's worth, yeah, Norfolk yeah. Worth trying, yeah. Mm. yeah, particularly on the coast, yeah. right? Then, Alan, what's your flomo this week? Well, it re really re rather relates to the subject we touched on, and that is the kind of plants that we're growing outside, um, in, in our gardens that are drought resistant. And my theory is that I may be wrong, but I hope I'm not, is that with drier, drier climates comes the idea of growing figs as freestanding plants. Now I've tried in, in a, at the back of an area, I've got, I think, four or five figs that I had in pots and I really didn't know what to do with them. And I planted them outside and they don't have any water. They have a lot of competition from grass around their roots and everything else. So they're going to have to dive down for anything that they're going to get. And I just thought the other day, I thought, well, you know, we shouldn't be worried about some of these figs that we that take up valuable wall space. Let's let's face it. Um, and, you know, Philip Oostenbrink the other day talked about a fig called Jolly Tiger, Jolly Tiger, um, which is very yellow, variegated, bright yellow, variegated leaves and variegated fruit. And I thought that's one to get. Um, and there are others. But I just think, you know, figs growing outside, if you've got the space, try a fig as a freestanding plant and just see what happens. I think you might be pleasantly surprised. I can imagine that having freestanding figs would be... Yeah, beautiful and delicious as well. Yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And I hope yeah. you managed to get Jolly Tiger, and I hope it costs less money for you than it did for Philip and Matt Pottage. <laughs> <laughs> it cost so much they had to share the plant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to think, I, know, I know Philip, but I, I, as soon as you mentioned his name, I knew it was going to be variegated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and a very beautiful variegation at that. <laughs> uh, Jack, will you please come back another time because it has been so much fun. Oh, you, you'll have to stop me. I'd love to. I'd love to come. This has been amazing chatting to you both. And, uh, <laughs> I, love, I, love the, I love this conversation around the changing climate and what that means. It's, we really do live in this time where we can yeah. experiment and those experiments are actually really important. So like the figures and uh, uh, thinking about crops is important. But yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. You've been a delight. You have. Thank you very much, JJ. It's been wonderful. <laughs> JJ, you've got a new really name, especially for Talking Dirty. Until next time, everybody, happy gardening. Happy gardening. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.